0: Welcome to the Rescue Church podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. Put your chin strap on. Put your chin strap on. Put your helmet. Don't be walking around like a little cornerback with the little straps out. Strap them. Mouthpiece, bull straps. Keep your head up because it's football season's coming. And here's the thing many of you will cheer for other men, but will not get on the the field of your own life. Many of you will put bets, and you think, I don't know what you do. You will put bets on other teams, and you will not even bet on yourself. You will not even invest in yourself. Listen, turn the feelings in airplane mode. Turn them off. Because I want to build you up tonight, and I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to encourage you, but we're going to have to get real tonight. And this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about courage. Because you need courage to fulfill your assignment. You need courage. This world is trying to intimidate you not to speak about Jesus, stay home. They're always trying to project fear on, curse your future, intimidate you, and you need Courage to fulfill your calling, to fulfill your assignment. You need courage. I need courage. We need courage. There's nothing more inspirational than courage. One of the things that I have so much respect for firemen is that when people are running out, they're running in. And that's, that's just like Jesus. When people are walking out on you, Jesus comes walking in. And, and that, that's courage, and there, there's something real honorable uh, in that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a short teaching, and then I'm going to ask questions. As I ask questions, what I want you to do, you don't have to take pictures of this. It doesn't, doesn't look that good anyway. I can send it to you. And you can have everything that you're going to see on the screen and you can marinate on that later. The only thing I encourage you to write down is what the Lord puts in your spirit. If he speaks to you or if there's something that sticks out to you that really resonates with you, then write that down. But everything that will be on the screen, you have access to it. I can text it to you or whatever. You can get it later. But what I want to do is I want to start with the story of the children of Israel crossing over through the Jordan River into the promised land. Because this is, this is the reality. I don't know if you've seen this, but you come out of Egypt in about a week. It was about seven days from when they started the whole process of bringing the people of God out. Are, are you guys with me? Nope. You know, the plagues, the, the Passover. It was, it was, you know. So you come out of the world pretty quickly. Are you, are you with me? I mean, I came out immediately. I was like, I'm out of here. When when I was ready, I just dove out and threw myself out. But I did not enter in to what God had at that same pace. So it's like you come out of the world in a week, in a night, in a moment. But it's, it's like sometimes a lifetime to enter in. And it took them 40 years. It didn't have to take them 40 years. It was about a week journey. But it took them 40 years because it's easier to come out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of you. Right? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So now, there's things that had to happen to the children of Israel before they crossed over. So I want you to think of the, the, the promised land as you being in Christ. And I want you to think of the, the fruit and the houses that they didn't build and the vines that they didn't plant. I want you to think of those metaphors. Those, those were real Things, but I want you to think of those for a moment in the sense of the fruitfulness in Christ, the abundance that Christ has for you, the purposes, the plan, the place and the people that God has for you. Because when you see God created Adam in the beginning, you see God's original intention is to give Adam a person, a place and a purpose. So for every living human that bears the image and likeness of God, there is a person a a purpose and a place for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That was a bridal language. So you have to know that you're not alone, you're loved, you're cared for, and there is a purpose for your life. Now, if you don't believe that, you're gonna live like you don't believe that. But if you do believe that, you're gonna live like you do believe that and you will live with intentionality and veracity and aggressiveness because you are going somewhere and there is purpose for you. Are you you with me? Okay, so these are some of the things that needed to happen. Number one, they had to cross the Jordan. That is a picture of death. That is a picture of being dead to sin. That is a picture of going into the waters of baptism, coming up a new person. Some of you guys just did that. Amazing decision. Okay, here's the next one. One of the next ones, and these are not in order, but these are things that were necessary to happen before the children of Israel went into the land that God promised them. The men needed to be circumcised and healed first. Now, what did Joshua do? Joshua circumcised A whole generation of men whose fathers neglected their responsibility. That's mostly what ministry is. Most ministry is not just a microphone. Ministry most often is stepping into the role where a father did not play the role. What happens with war? War takes away fathers. So so the woman's most valuable person... Her husband and the children's most valuable person the father wars leads to widows and orphans in poverty right are, are you guys tracking with me so so this is important so the, 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 the circumcision or the cutting was Joshua circumcising the next generation of the people of God, as and you know that stands for the covenant that God made with his people. So if you want to enter into promise, but you're not willing to be cut, you cannot enter into promise unless you're willing to be cut deeply. There's a metaphor there. A lot of men do not want to be cut. They want to do things. They don't want to let God deal with them. And 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 you know where it's on on. The, it's very personal. I know I helped do the circumcision of my boys. We did the little snip. I did, I did. So okay, two tribes. You know you know Gad, Gad and Reuben. They did not want to go on the other side of the Jordan. They wanted to receive their inheritance without a battle this is a generation that wants benefits but no battle I want to check to stay home I want the benefits but I don't want a battle I don't I don't want to be strong I want to look strong I don't want to get on the field of life I want to cheer for other dudes on Sunday I don't want to bet on myself I want to bet on you know a football box okay so two tribes, right, did not want to fight. So so Moses says to them, yo, you, you guys got to fight. And then if you want this land, you come back and get this land. But you got to go and fight with your brothers lest they become discouraged. So when people don't play their position, it discourages other people. So you, let's say you're not playing your position in your marriage. Guess who you're discouraging? Your wife. Or guess who she's discouraging? Her husband. So so it's critical if we're going to enter into the land, if we're going to enter into the promise, if we're going to live in abundance and prosperity and inheritance and favor, that we're willing to fight for what God says is already ours. OK, the spies, remember them? They had to go into the land and spy out the land and not only spy out the land, they had to take fruit from the land, which is first fruits. So they had to go in, see, and bring out fruit. And only those with the right perspective, do you remember this? So the odds were 10 to 2. 10 people, unbelief, fear, they're speaking death with their mouth. 10 to 2. God always does something with a minority. That's why God always starts with a minority. When you look at the move of the Holy Spirit in America, God started in Azusa Street. In a time where America was full of prejudice and all this stuff, God shows up in a one-eyed black preacher, and the Holy Spirit touches the church, and the gospel goes to all of the world from the wrong side of the train tracks, and then God makes the people who are in power have to go to those who are powerless to receive power from Him, because God always starts at the bottom. Ten to two, the odds are against... Ten to two. Ten people are saying, you're not going to work, not going to work, not going to work, not going to work. Two people like, we got it. Okay. Only those with the right perspective could enter in. Who was it? Joshua and Caleb. It says that they were of another spirit. They were not of the spirit of the majority. Are you following me? Okay. Your perspective could make or break you. This is why it's important that what you let and who you let speak into your life. Yes or no? Okay, we're going to see that a little bit more um, on Sunday. Now, Joshua 1, I'm not going to go, I cannot preach this whole thing long, but I I want you to hear it because this is important. Now, God is speaking to Joshua. And God says something that it seems as if, God is wasting his words, but he's not because God doesn't waste his words or run out of things to say. He's God. Joshua 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, the whole nation just mourned for Moses, right? So God's saying that a guy is dead who everyone has just been crying for like 30 days or whatever it was, knowing he's dead. Seems crazy, but what God is saying is, bro, I comforted you in your morning, get up and move forward. <laughs> get up and move forward. <laughs> Moses my servant is dead, now therefore arise go over the Jordan you and this people to the land which I am giving them to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon. I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river to the Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Listen to this. No man shall be able to stand before you. Are you listening to this? All the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, if you fight, you'll win. So what does the enemy try to do later to Joshua? Get him not to fight, because if he doesn't fight, he can't win. So he lives in compromise and intolerance, surrounded by enemies he was supposed to have victory over. Because the enemy knew, if I fight, I lose, so let's make a treaty. And this is what happens in our life. The enemy comes and tries to make a little peace treaty with you so that you don't engage, so that you don't fight, so that you don't win, so that you live amongst your enemies and don't have victory over them. It wasn't until David that David went in and inherited the fullness of this land and took all of the land, okay? So you have to to remember that the enemy is a great seducer and will try to seduce us into not engaging And and you see later in the book of Joshua, remember when Joshua was fighting and the sun stands still? When you're fighting the right battle, time is on your side. Time is the servant of the Lord and God will make a way, but you have to fight. You cannot lose your fight. This is what happens. People come into the church, into the kingdom, and they lose their fight. You used to break night for two, three days. Now you can't read the Bible for 30 minutes. You're falling asleep. You lost your fight. You lost your edge. You you lost your fervency and your fervor. You lost it. Now it's time. It's okay. Pick it back up. Don't just cheer for someone on Sunday because they have it. Pick it back up. And let's move forward, all right? Stick with me. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's a blank check. No man will be able to stand before you. That is promised Victory, wherever the soles of your feet go, victory. We got to get used to victory. Be strong. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance to the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. So he says in the context of fighting battles... Be strong and courageous. Watch where he uses very courageous. Watch this. Stick with me. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the left. Do not turn your right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So so you need to be courageous To confront enemies. But you know what it takes very courageous? You know what he says be very courageous? To obey this. Because you obey this, guess where you get into conflict? Church conflict. Marriage conflict. It takes very courageous to obey God. It takes courageous to fight enemies. (laughs) Okay? That you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may do according to observe uh, all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So success was not Wall Street's idea. Wall Street didn't make success. Wall Street doesn't define success. It's not on Wall Street or Main Street. It's God's word is what determines what is success and what is prosperity. Those words were hijacked. And when I say those words, it triggers church people because the world is what defines their worldview, not the word. When someone is triggered, you know what you're touching? Their worldview or their pain. Anytime someone is triggered, what you're touching is either their pain or their worldview. We have to reorient our mind according to the word of God. Okay. Moses is dead. God doesn't waste his words. Be strong. Be very courageous. Because, you know, it takes courage to go places that you have not been and do things that you have not done. Because you're looking uncertainty in the face. And people are go, How is this going to work? I don't know. <laughs> people are like, What, what, what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> But it's okay because he knows. So it requires courage. So if you want to move forward in your life, in your faith walk, in your journey, it requires courage. You cannot have success without courage. You cannot have success without meditating on the word day and night. What you meditate on is what comes out of your mouth. We know what you're meditating on by what comes out of your mouth. If you could get your mind and your mouth in agreement, you could make your way prosperous. The enemy doesn't want to get your mind and your mouth in agreement because then you have a prosperous way and you'll have good success. So the enemy creates all different systems and structures so that your mind and your mouth are not in agreement. He throws the news at you. He throws the markets at you. He throws all these things to get you out of whack so that your mind and your mouth are not in agreement. When your mind and your mouth are in agreement, there is power that leads to prosperity and godly success. Are you with me? Okay. Now, you cannot and will not fulfill your calling without courage. This is essential. This is an attribute of kingdom people. Courage. Listen, if you cannot be courageous in a free country. What in the world would you do under real pressure? Real pressure. Okay, it's just asking you, don't worry, I haven't even started asking questions. (laughs) You cannot have success again without courage. Going forward in the, in the future, compassion and courage are going to be essential for the people of God because we're going to watch people continue to destroy their life and we're going to have to have compassion on them and courage with them or we're not going to have no solutions for them. We're not going to have nothing to say to them, nothing to do for them unless we have both of those things working in tandem. Now, I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes about the power of questions. This is Jason Upton. Is you, whoever, does anyone know who Jason Upton is? Okay. Jason Upton is a prophetic psalmist. You check him out on YouTube. He, he he has really prophetic music that really gets to the heart of a matter. And in one of his songs, he goes, you are wisdom. You ask questions. And he's referring to Jesus in the gospels and Jesus, when he asked questions, it wasn't like he was trying to learn something. <laughs> it wasn't like Jesus is like, maybe I can learn something from Peter's crazy self. No, Jesus was asking questions so that the person he was asking the questions to would discover something. Now, the right questions can lead to change and transformation. Asking better questions will lead to better answers. Now, one of the things that I can, I, I, I determined. Uh, where people are at is not only by what they say, but by the questions they ask. When, When someone asks you a question, it is an indicator of where they are, for better or worse. Now, if I tell you something, you're borrowing it. It's not yours. That's like if I said it on Sunday, if I take a picture in front of Brett's house. That's not mine. So if I tell you something, that's not yours. But if I ask you a question and you inquire of the Lord and the Lord gives you insight, it's yours. You own it. Deuteronomy says the things that God has revealed belong to us and our children. Yeah? Okay. Now, for those of you who like to read and not just watch TV, there's a book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions by John Maxwell. It's a great, great book if you want to develop the skill of asking questions. Listen to me. The right question can change your life. I have been asked questions that have reshaped the trajectory of my life. And I'm telling you that some of the questions that I'm going to ask you now, if you allow the Lord to to speak to you and to show you something, can change your life. The next thing that we're going to get into, I do not determine how well it goes. You determine how well it goes based upon your heart's receptivity to what the Lord is wanting to do. And I know already there's some people that are going to lay hold of it and some people are going to look at me. And it's all right because God is planting a seed in you. Sometimes the seed jumps up and sometimes, you know, it just gets, goes down in the mud and eventually enough pressure will break that seed open. And that life seed will will come out and then it'll be time and rain and and, and sunshine and eventually something beautiful springing up eight years later. That's okay. That's all right. Now, we're going to get into some of the questions. Here are some basic questions. I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to give you a moment. Do not say the answers out loud. (laughs) Just hold them. What are you feeling conflicted about currently? Do you have a sense of conflict within yourself? How intense is the conflict? If someone came to you with the exact situation, what would you say to them? If some of these questions don't resonate with you, don't worry. We have more questions. This is the preliminary question. We have not got the rag and the the gallon of water out. (laughs) Is there something stopping you? Wait, let me go back. I skipped one. Do you find it difficult to take your own advice? Solomon did. All of the answers to all of Solomon's problems are in the Proverbs. It's easier to give good advice than to live your life well. This is why people, you go into prophetic church, you know, people, and they can prophesy to you. They don't know if they're coming, they're going. They can't balance their checkbook. They're indebted. They don't know what's going on. They're like 15-year-olds. But they can prophesy to you, which is not impressing. I'm not impressed by that. You know what's most impressive when someone puts their head down and shuts up and lives their life powerfully and people go, "Okay, there's something different about that person and they don't have to say anything. You can see it. You can feel it when you get around them. You're like, all right. okay." do you find it difficult to take your own advice? In other words, there's something in you that you intuitively know you should be doing or shouldn't be doing yet you may find yourself not doing it would you take your own advice I know that this is very different from our normal but if if we don't if we don't focus in on the place where we decide from and the place where we respond from if we don't ever If none of these questions ever get asked, things will continue to go on unaddressed. Is there something stopping you from dealing with this inner conflict? What do I mean by an inner conflict? An inner conflict is your voice inside of you, you, knowing that you need to change something, yet you have not done it. Don't tell me that I'm the only person that experienced that.
1: But <laughs> it's like World War Three is going on inside.
0: <laughs> okay. What is the unresolved inner conflict preventing you from? Thank you. In other words, what is not dealing with the conflict causing you? Maybe, maybe, maybe for, for you, maybe there's no conflict yet. That's okay. What I found, it is impossible to move forward without a sense of conflict. Why? Because I have to leave where I am in pursuit of where I'm going. And some people do not want to leave where they are because they like where they are. Because some people are settlers. Like Gad and Reuben. Settlers, they wanted to say, we will stay on this side of the river. We will not have a conflict and we will be good right here. And the leader said, no. No, if you want that, that's good. But you have to fight with them or you cannot go over there. So there are people who have a propensity to want to avoid a sense of conflict and, and somehow think that they're going to settle on what is promised without a conflict. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that to be true. I don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible I don't see that in business. I don't see that in war. I don't see that in economics. I don't see that in sports. I don't see that in any sphere of life where you're going to enter into something great without any sort of conflict. I just don't see it. Now, to help you with some of those questions, prayer and worship is the place where we deal with the inner conflict. You see this all through the Psalms. David is full of turmoil and conflict. I don't know if you see that. 59 out of 100 Psalms are lament, which is exactly what I'm talking about dealing with the inner conflict of the outside situation. Are, are you guys with me? Are, are you all right? Yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm getting. <laughs> are you still here? It's good. Okay. Prayer is the place, not where we get God to do what we want with our list. <laughs> Prayer is the place where we exchange God's will for our will. It is the beauty for ashes exchange. It is the great exchange. Okay. The word is where we get clarity about the nature of the conflict. The word is the word of God divides the soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Which is why many people want to do podcasts, want to do YouTube, do not want to do the word because the word deals with you. This is why people, this is why you, you, it's, you get tired when you open the Bible but you are not tired three shows into Netflix. Because that doesn't make you deal with you. That gives you a temporary delay of having to deal with the thing that you're trying to avoid. And you can't avoid it. You try to avoid it, but it's going to hurt you. Avoiding the inner conflict that I'm talking about would be like saying I've got a little small growth and I refuse to get it looked at or to get it fixed and then all of a sudden six months later they gotta chop your hand off because you have cancer growing all over your body because you refused the conflict. I've seen this very personal so I'm telling you this is this is real life here now The word is where we get clarity about the nature of the conflict, where we get the mind of God and the heart of God about a situation. As a Christian, what you want to ask yourself is, what does God think and feel and what does God say about this situation? Wherever you find yourself in, whether you have a terrible situation or an amazing opportunity, before you do any of that, you want to say, what are you saying? What do you clearly say about this situation? Because if you reject the counsel of God, you reject the blessing of God, you reject the protection of God, you reject the favor of God, you reject the way of God, you you just really hurt yourself, which nobody wants to see that, right? Okay, now, there is victory in community. Your level of honesty and transparency is part of what determines how you will experience community. The Bible says a friend must show himself friendly, which means I must sow friendship before I expect to reap Friendship. Okay? All right. In community, there is accountability, which is what makes victory sustainable. You cannot sustain a victory outside of community. That's important. Where was David when he when he got when he had victory? He was out with his community fighting. Where was David when he fell into sin? Isolated by himself in a palace celebrating his last victory and not focusing on his next win. That's what happens when you are supposed to be a pioneer and you become a settler. You position yourself to be in the wrong place in the wrong season. It's safer to be in a lion's den than in a king's palace in the right season. You you, you, you have to really, listen to me, you have to really understand where you are supposed to be. Who are you supposed to be linked to? Who are you supposed to be joined to? Who are you supposed to be connected with? It's not by accident that all of the men who killed giants rolled with a giant killer. There was five giants. Do you remember when David went to go get the stones for Goliath? Do you remember that? How many stones did he get? Five. There was five giants in the earth. Four other men that rolled with David killed giants. You cannot kill giants hanging out with Saul. If, listen, you have to learn how to associate yourself with what you want in your life. Okay. I'm really trying to help you here. Now, here it comes. We're going to start. <laughs> we're going to get some more questions. Get the gallon. Okay. Do you need to ask forgiveness of anyone? What does that mean? That means, we'll start with God. Do you need to say, God, I am sorry because I sinned against you? Or do you need to say, Brad, I am sorry because I sinned against you? Do you need to ask someone for forgiveness? Because pretending like something is all good when it's not all good, that doesn't help you. So this is a question. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying, think about this. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there someone that I need to ask to forgive me. When I first got saved, I saw people I had to ask, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know, you had, you, I went on an apology tour uh, where I had to ask to be forgiven because of things that I have done. Now, do you need to forgive someone? Your freedom is attached to you forgiving someone who may not be sorry. Many times, people don't realize that that you need to forgive. You know the most people you need to forgive? I'm going to tell you the truth. Fathers and mothers. Let me give you a role-playing scenario. Father walks out, leaves the mother in poverty, leaves the mother economically challenged. The daughter is vulnerable. The daughter gets molested. You know who she needs to forgive? Not only the molester, her father. You know why because her father left her left the covering yep. no protection and left her vulnerable and now if she doesn't forgive him she's gonna bear the consequences of living in unforgiveness and she may not even know she has to forgive him but he negated his responsibility which brought destruction on a home for example Let's let's do mommy. Mommy was more focused on her career than her daughter. His daughter. What does that mean? That means that she was not nurtured. She wasn't nurtured. That means that she didn't learn how to nurture, and maybe she has. An oral fixation because she was not nurtured. You know people that were not nurtured many times have eating disorders, smoking, drinking, something to comfort them because they were not comforted on their mother's breast when they were a child? I'm serious. Do you know that children have damage from the womb? From the womb. When a child is not wanted from the womb, they have damage. So you can come out with damage. It was an accident. I didn't mean to have you. I should have had an abortion. You're carrying baggage and damage from your mother's womb. If you don't forgive them, your subconscious will be destroyed by what someone did to you instead of walking in the freedom that Jesus provided for you. The devil doesn't want you to know that. And now it's coming out because these things got to come out. Do you know that when you, I'll give you an example. You know, when you hold a young child under two, you are helping the child troubleshoot problems in their 20s. You're helping them make neurological pathways to troubleshoot problems when you nurture them and you touch them and you hug them and you say, you're amazing. And you kiss them and you, you are literally helping them solve problems in their 20s simply by nurturing them in their twos. This is a scientific fact. I'm not making stuff up. This is real life here. And so what, ha- okay. Okay. Do you have self-bitterness? I had that. Self-bitterness. You know what that means? You made a bad choice, you internalized it, and you're mad at yourself, and you are holding yourself hostage, which means God has already forgiven you, but until you receive that and treat yourself like you're forgiven... You are holding yourself hostage. This is a big, big problem in church. A lot of people live with self-bitterness. Okay, are you angry with yourself? If so, why? For me, I'll, I'll, I'll be transparent. Years and years ago, I don't have that now, but years ago I made a bad financial decision that affected my wife and I, and the problem is we made the decision together. So she couldn't be mad at me. We were dumb together. So she forgave me, but I didn't forgive myself. And it wasn't until I heard a teaching on self-bitterness that I got free from that. Once I got free from that, I lost weight and my finances changed. I gained that weight back, but with pounds on the bench. <laughs> so now, and I don't, a, I don't have a relationship with a scale like a high school cheerleader. As a man, if you have that, that's not healthy. If you're a man and you have a relationship with a weight scale, like a 15-year-old cheerleader, something is not right with you. Okay. Now, are you living with unresolved conflict? Unresolved conflict leaves you with confusion and steals your confidence. Do you know how to resolve conflict? This works. I was wrong. <laughs> Here, here's what you want a bonus if you're married? I am sorry. You want a free meal and dessert and a little apple pie? I should have listened to you. Those are very small yet very powerful words that have the ability to reshape your current reality, if you need that. And you oh, yeah, and your supper. And you make it dessert. So, is there something you need to stop immediately? Uh-oh. Like, like if you're doing something, and you know it's harmful for you, I'm asking, I'm not, I'm not saying you are, I'm not accusing you. I'm I'm asking you to ask yourself, because let me ask you a question. So you come to church, I teach the Bible, 40 minutes, we go home and then we live like the devil. That's not the goal. The goal is, right, the goal is that I open my heart enough to let Jesus in to speak into the reality that i find myself in like i'll give you an example the other day i was i was told the lord i'm upset about something he said it doesn't matter imagine if you came to me and you go i'm upset about this and i go it doesn't matter you'd be mad at me but the lord will tell that to you the lord will tell you it does not matter that doesn't matter some people are not listening to jesus How do I know you're not listening to Jesus? It's impossible to listen to Jesus and stay stuck. Now, your outward situation may not change immediately, but your perception of that situation will change immediately. And as the prophet Abner Suarez has said many times for the last 20 years, Often, it is your perspective of your circumstances that needs to change more than your circumstances. Because if your perspective doesn't change, nothing will change. If you don't change, nothing will change. If I don't change, nothing will change, right? These are change questions. I don't know. Maybe you're saying, no, I don't need to change. I'm good. When are you going to let me out of here? Okay. I mean, that's awesome. But for the rest of us that are like, wait a second, I want to make some adjustments. I want, to, I want to run on all eight cylinders. I don't want to go and cheer for the Jets and live a losing life. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you know, I got, I, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm, I'm cheering, I'm cheering, but I'm losing. I'm cheering, I'm cheering for them, and I'm losing. I don't know about that, but I'm not into that. Okay, is there something you need to finish? Did you start something that you need to finish? These are questions. If these questions don't make you think, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I got no other. I got, um, is there something you need to start? Has God put something in your heart that you will not see what it looks like unless you walk forward into it? Like, for example, God said to Abram, yo, get out! Get out of your father's house to a place That I will show you. In other words, if you stay here, you cannot see the place I am showing you. So if you don't start, if you don't start moving in the direction, you will not see what is next. This is important. Unless you want to be stuck. I don't want to be stuck. I'm asking God every day when I pray, give me wisdom so that my next decision lays a sure foundation for my next decision i want to move sure-footed with wisdom with, you know so that if people ask me well why are you doing that i can say i can tell you why i'm doing that okay is this something you need to start not not do you have do you have an idea for me pastor we think you should do this i'm not <laughs> thank you you, you, not me, not not, not. are you giving me a suggestion on how I can do my job better? Is there something you need to do that only you know? Maybe I don't know. Maybe only you know. And And if you don't start, you will not find the help you need to move forward. You're waiting for the help, but if you don't start, you don't attract the help. Can't help. Nobody can help something that's not moving. Okay. If you, this this is really, if you were observing your own life, would you be inspired? (laughs) That's a good question. Is it ever enough? Solomon said, no, the eyes of man are never satisfied. If you were observing your own life, would you be inspired? This is a legacy question. This is a, a, a question that we can reshape your generations. Is your life inspiring? Are you happy with the life that you are presently living? I ask that question because if you don't get completely, 100% dissatisfied, there's nothing that will change. Like the same way, like for example, if you have an addiction, if you don't hate what it's doing to you, you won't leave it. An abusive relationship. If you just continue to take abuse, you're just gonna keep getting abused. Unless you walk out and say, I don't deserve abuse, I'm done. You don't deserve abuse. But if you stay there, you'll keep getting abused. And you you become accustomed to abuse and you think that you deserve abuse when you don't deserve abuse. So if you were observing your life, would you be inspired? This got into what I was saying when we were praying before worship. When I think of Christians, I don't think of thriving or flourishing. I can only think of two guys that come off the top of my head. My friend Teofalo is one guy I think of that that guy is straight up thriving and flourishing. And he's like a tree in Santa River, like outside the pool, you know, with purple leaves. But most people, when I look at them, I'm like, that's not thriving. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe you don't. Did, have you ever woke up like, hey, I'm thriving, baby. Woo! Most people. Are you with me? I'm not saying that to be jerky, but here's the thing. If you don't ask yourself the hard questions, you won't change. It'll be 10 more years and you'll be in the same place. And you'll do what your father did and what he did and what they did. And I'll do what this guy did. And and, and instead of asking myself the hard questions, you have children. What do your children think of you? How do your children experience you? Wait, wait, just just wait. So, I'm going to ask you one more time, then I'm going to move on. If you were observing your own life, would you be inspired? I'm going to let you marinate on that. I'm going to ask you, here's another one. Identifying meaningful relationships. This is critical. If you had a serious problem, who would you reach out to? Okay, well, Amen. That's uh, I'm honored by that. <laughs> I don't always feel honored, but... <laughs> So if you had, no, seriously, if you had a serious problem, I remember I had a problem. I said, well, I've never had this before. I called my pastor and I said, whatever he tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. (laughs) And I got rid of the problem pretty quickly. So if you had a serious problem, who would you reach out to? It's an important question. You have to have go-to people in your life. The other day I was in the process of making a decision, I called Red. boom. You have to call people who have been where you are. You, you cannot call someone who doesn't know. If you had an amazing opportunity, amazing, an opportunity where like, you were like, is this real? Are you sure? Are you talking to me? You must have got the wrong guy because i'm not qualified for that i'm not that smart me i mean if you had an opportunity like that who would you tell about it and ask for input about it who would you tell and who would you ask to speak into it this is important if you don't identify these people you are going to slow yourself down If you identify these people, you can do with a phone call what could take a year. Okay, who are two to three people you can clearly identify that God brought into your life to help you grow? Can I tell you something? Can I be honest with you? You see these questions? Nobody ever asked me one of these questions. You know how I I learned this? Pain. Mistakes. Not taking what was already on the table for me. Learning the hard way. When I tell people to stay away from credit cards and stuff, I learned $30,000. I learned the hard way. When we and my wife were paying off credit card debt, I wasn't going on a $3,000 vacation. You're in debt. You cannot afford to go on vacation. But no one will tell you that. No one will look you in the face and say, what are you doing? You're giving your future away. And you just keep doing it. You cannot do that. You cannot afford that. Who are two to three people that you can clearly identify that God brought into your life. Because how you honor those relationships, how you treat those relationships, will determine if you get more of those relationships. The fruit of a good relationship is more good relationships. A good relationship... Leads to more good relationships. They go, let me introduce you to Tina. Tina is a solid person. Oh, I heard that you were looking for someone to help you. Okay. A good relationship leads to other good relationships. This is very important. Are you the type of person that people can refer you? or people are like, yo, he's solid. He he will deliver. She will deliver. She is consistent. You can trust her. This is important. These relationships are the relationships that help determine the trajectory of your life. When God gives you an upgrade in your life, He gives you relationships to prepare you for that upgrade. So God brings a rich guy into your life, not so you get his money, so you get his mentality. Let me, let me tell you a story of a rich man. A rich man goes to Haiti, helps Haiti, blesses Haiti. Everyone in Haiti asked him for money. One person, one person, one said this. I don't want anything from you. I want to know how did you do it? How? How? all right okay are you spending any effort cultivating relationships that can help you grow this is not selfish this is wise you know what most people do they spend time with the wrong relationships I know a friend, an investor, he helps people. He says, I never help someone on the way down. Never. I don't don't give to a pocket with holes in it. I I, I give to someone who is on the way up, and they're coming up with or without me, and I help them going up because I'm not going to waste my investment. Think of relationship. You, you have, we have chased people that don't even want anything instead of investing in people who need and want it. This is one of the things I learned as a pastor. I am not responsible for people who don't respond to me. If you don't listen to me, you're robbing yourself of what God gave me. It's not going to make me feel not good about myself. You don't have that power, but you can rob yourself. So this is important. Are you spending effort cultivating relationships that help you grow? Tomorrow night, my wife and I, we're having a meeting with an apostle and his wife. We're intentional when we go to that area to reach out to them, say, hey, we're going, we communicate. Because I want to get around people who are moving. The conversation is different. When you listen to someone who is not moving, I'm tired, I'm stagnant, I'm this, I'm that. There's no, you, you're, not, you're not telling me anything that you haven't told me. You're just telling me that you're tired. I'm tired too. Welcome to being an adult. But th- this, this is, you have to get around people that are moving. You, this is very important. And people who don't understand this, they think that this is Selfish. But this is oxygen to your soul. This is, I'm going to touch on this on Sunday a little bit more, but this is very, very important reality. Very important to to get into your heart, into your spirit. So I've asked you some questions tonight to make you think, I cannot respond, I'm not your heart. Huh? Huh? Yes. Some of those questions, I'm going to be honest with you, they're zingers. Yeah. You know, know, David, you know one of the problems with us? Can I tell you one of the problems with us? We don't like pain. We don't like pain. This culture doesn't like pain. And the problem with that is that pain is the only better teacher than pain is the Holy Spirit. Only one that can teach you better than pain is Holy Spirit. <laughs> but pain is a notification in your life that something needs to change. That's important. That's it. And so we try to suppress that, but we hurt ourselves instead of saying, no, 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 let me feel that for a minute. And we do it to our kids. We try to absorb all pain from their life. And we're not preparing them for a world full of pain. This is, let me, I want to talk to you about one more idea called convergence. The reason I'm talking about this is because no one is fully in this space yet. But some of us are moving toward it. What is convergence? Convergence is, she's like, I'm not going to, this is not a new age thing, don't worry. (laughs) People are like, what is he doing? No, 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 I'm not into any of that stuff. (laughs) Convergence, I want you to think of, I'll give you a biblical one, which I cannot preach to you. But the biblical convergence, here's one with Jesus. When Jesus, Romans 5, 6, and Galatians 4, 4. There is a convergence of Kronos time and Kairos time. Where the, Acts 2 is a convergence. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. So I want to talk to you about a convergence that is practical. Convergence is when gifts, it's for you, and talents meet resources and opportunities. Someone received it. It's two receivers. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I'm going to look to the side of the room. <laughs> convergence is when gifts and talents meet resources and opportunities. So the testimony that I share with you about Mike, do you remember that testimony? That was a convergence of time and resources and purpose and favor. That brought him forward. In a moment, what would take years to get a doctorate. Years. Thousands of dollars, even in Africa. Brett knows because he said me to the Bible school. <laughs> it's expensive. It's, a, so my point, my point is simply that there's a convergence of time And resources and purpose and talents. For example, John Maxwell said this, your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with that talent, Jose, is your gift back to God. So you ask, I'm asking you, I'm asking us, right, what are we doing with what we already have? Everything that I'm talking to you tonight about, everything has to do with stewardship. Everything I've said can be consolidated into one word, stewardship. But here's the thing, you cannot steward what you are not aware of. Here's another one. Let's just say you identify a destructive relationship. If you don't cut that relationship off, it will continue to bring destruction into your life. So until you are resolute in your boundaries on destruction, until you say destruction does not have permission to live in my mind or my heart or my finances or my family or my house, until you shut the door to that, then that will bear fruit in your life. Like, like if you you think about people that you've done bad things with, if you don't cut that off, if you don't draw a boundary on that, that'll continue to bleed into your future. And instead of speaking to who you're becoming, they'll be like, yo, do you remember when? Nah, he died. No, that, that may have been who I was, that is not who I am and that is not where I'm going. So I'm, I'm giving you a practical. If you don't cut certain things off, it will continue to bleed and seep. And so I'm saying these things for the purpose of us positioning ourselves for convergence. You see that in Acts 2. You see that in the coming of the Lord. You see that. Uh, there's times in the script, you see that in, in the Exodus narrative. There, there is a, there is the cry of the people came up before the Lord. The Lord summoned Moses. The Lord released his power. The people came out. That is a convergence where God takes his own purposes in that generation forward through yielded vessels. Not perfect people. If we was perfect, none of us could do it. But yielded people, we get to be a part of this. So... What I was going to do is, I was going to break you guys down in groups and have you pray for each other, but it's really late. So, what I would like to do, I would like you to do something simple. This is really simple. You can do this, I promise you. Adopt a person to pray for, adopt a person to pray for. Say tonight I'm going to use DK as an example. Tonight I have almost a 3 hour drive ahead of me. I'm going to pray for DK tonight. So he's he, he's taken but decide to pray for someone tonight. And this is the this is the last question I'm going to ask you with. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord if any one of these questions is something that God is wanting to address in your life now. Because I cannot project what God is doing in your life. You may say, I have all those questions answered and I'm walking on water. Well, maybe I can be more like you. But if that's not your situation then ask, you, ask the Lord to show you because God doesn't want to overwhelm you. God doesn't condemn you. God doesn't shame you. God doesn't make you feel bad because feeling bad doesn't do anything good. God will address something in your life with the express desire to bring you forward in a specific area. So I'm going to pray and then you're dismissed. Lord, tonight... We have come before you, God, with a heart of sincerity. Lord, I know for sure that people are here because they want to be here. Because they know it's right to be here. Because there's something that you are doing in their heart, in their house, in their life, with their future. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to show your truth to them concerning the word that was taught or the questions that were asked in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to me. I want you to know I love you, and I did not interrogate you or ask you those questions for the purpose of anything other than your benefit. I hope you know that. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.